Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Good morning, Horizon West Church. Thank you for being here. I don't know if you noticed on your way in, I I felt like it was maybe a little cold today. You actually are the beneficiaries of the sun being out a little longer. It was freezing this morning. Some of you know that. Some of you are from New Jersey, Minnesota, New York. You're like, come on, this you're a weak sauce. But I'm just telling you, this is legit cold. This isn't Florida cold. It's just cold. So thank you for being here. Hey, if you're watching online, then you need to do something. In order to have the experience that we're all having, would you get in your car, drive around the block, come back inside the house, and feel the cold air rushing in you as you open the door? That would just help you to have a better experience. So with that out of the way, hey, I want to celebrate something that happened last week that was kind of unexpected um, in that there was not really a grand plan for this. Uh, it, It actually made my notes late in the week. It wasn't something we had a lot of structure around. Um, I had come across a a Bible, uh, a a New Testament version of the Bible called Messiah, which is just a readable version of Scripture and and published in like a book format. So not, you know, chapters, verses, headings, footnotes, just just a book, you know, like people read Harry Potter or whatever it might be. And so uh, the, the thinking behind the publishing of the book was, hey, how can we get people who don't understand the Bible to just read it? And they thought maybe if we just printed it as it was originally printed in book form. So that, that's what's happening. And so last week I said, hey, we've got some copies of this. Um, if you don't have a Bible that you can read or that you can understand really well and you'd be, like to be part of something that we're doing, just grab a Bible on your way out and, uh, and, and join me in reading the New Testament this year before Easter. And I just kind of put it out there. And so by the end of the day, we had given out over 60 of these Bibles, um, all of our English copies and about half of our Spanish copies. We still do have some in Spanish. So if that is your heart language, you'd like to get one, we have those for you. To the rest of you, uh, you can get these. Someone was like, are you going to buy more? Are there going to be like book clubs? I'm like, there's no plan. <laughs> we just wanted to get the word of God in people's hands so they would read it. That's, that's the plan. Um, and trust God with that. So if you didn't get one in English and want one, you can go to immersebible.com, um, and they're like 13 or 14 bucks, not really expensive, and it may be that you got one last week and you went, this is actually really cool, and I think my coworker or my neighbor or my family member, they may actually read this. You can get more Bibles there and send them on. We're not going to kind of manufacture this. We just want you to have opportunity to, to get familiar and acquainted with the words and the teachings of Jesus in that way. So that was an exciting thing. Uh, this week we are back in our series that we're calling First Things First. We started in week one with prayer and then we talked about last week the Bible. And this week what we're going to do is hold up an enormous mirror and we're going to talk about ourselves. Meaning we're going to talk about the church. Okay, we're going to talk about the church. Before we do that, I want to just allow you a quiet moment. In the rat race of this week, including this weekend, I want you to be able to get quiet and for just a few moments hold the mirror of your own soul in front of you and say, God, reveal to me anything that you have for me. Would you do that? God, as we get quiet, and Lord, as we recognize a week of highs and lows, a week of activity and events and relationships and conversations and work and play and God we we want to acknowledge that all of that is from you 
And yet in this moment, we want just you. Just you, God. And so in these next 25, 30 minutes, Lord, would you open our hearts? Would you open our souls? Would you open our minds to receive everything that you have for us? We're not relying on, uh, on anything that, that, that props this thing up. God, we're relying just on you and your spirit to meet with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, I don't know about each of your stories. Um, I've shared a little bit of my story over the, over the years, if you've been with us. Um, I grew up as a church kid, okay? I was in church a lot. Anybody relate? There should be a support group for us. Yeah? Okay. All right. I, I wasn't just the church. I mean, I, I was in church on Sunday morning by like 8 o'clock and getting home at like 1 o'clock from, from a very early child. Um, my mom has in my baby book accounts of the, the people that were feeding me and holding me and helping me get to sleep in the nursery. Like all of that is like documented uh, somewhere in a book that will one day get burned. But, um, but I just grew up in church. We, we went on Sunday mornings. We went back on Sunday evening. We had four o'clock Bible quizzing, five o'clock drama practice, and six o'clock uh, youth service. And then uh, actually, it was a Sunday night service, a regular one. And then we go to Taco Bell with the youth group afterward and get in trouble, and that's not going to make it into this sermon, but that, that happened. Um, and then we go back on Monday nights for puppet practice, and then Wednesday nights was youth group. And then most weekends, we would have some youth rally or, or event. I mean, I was in church all the time. In fact, I added up this week, best estimate of 40 years of living, how many just, just services. So not all the auxiliary stuff, just, just church services and my number, I think, is about 40,000 hours of church, okay? So it's a lot of church. And some of you might have that number beat. Some of you are like, oh gosh, is that what I'm signing up for? No, 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 no. We, we don't do things quite like that anymore. But a lot of church. And maybe some of you can relate when I say that I love the church, but I've also been hurt by the church. I've received a lot of benefit and joy from being part of churches over the years. Um, and I've also been very frustrated at times, sometimes even discouraged or disillusioned. And there's this tension that exists in my soul to not only continue to be part of a church, but to be a leader in the church and know that sometimes we get it right, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes there are growing up these great mentors that I could look to and go, man, if I could just be like Marvin Good or Ken Hannum or Eddie Fitch. And there were other examples in the church of men who shipwrecked their lives cheated on their wives and then ran off. Guys that were deacons that ended up in prison. That's all of it, right? And, and there's this tension in my soul when we talk about the church. And so this morning, I want to kind of peel back the curtain and go, what are we talking about when we talk about the church? Because every one of us has experienced church. You're in the room right now. But we've all experienced it very differently. It's kind of like the way we went through COVID, right? Like we all had the experience, but man, that experience was wildly different. That's true of the church too. So some guys in recent years have written books to help us. I'm going to read just the names of some books. These are not meant for you to remember them. I'm trying to make a point. Stick with me. These are all real names of books that you can find in what used to be called bookstores today. So here they are. Simple Church, Future Church, Organic Church, Disappearing Church, Center Church, Scrappy Church, Sticky Church, The Unstuck Church, Comeback Churches, Breakout Churches, The Five Star Church, Grow Your Church, Become a Welcoming Church, The Rise of Digital Church, The Book of Church Growth, The Gospel-Driven Church, The Purpose-Driven Church, Taking Your Church to the Next Level, and Why Men Hate to Go to Church. <laughs> Didn't make that up. 
those books are all in circulation, and some of them are good. I'll just say that. Some of them are good. But it strikes me that with all of the resources in the world and such a flood of information about the church in America, we could probably make the assumption the church in America must be thriving, right? It's not. It's not. In fact, there is a a kind of inverse uh, diagram of where there is a flood of wealth and excess and the power of the church and the gospel. And so we got to do some unpacking. When we talk about church, what exactly are we talking about? Well, in the New Testament, the word, the Greek word that gets translated into our English church is the word ekklesia. It, it exists over a hundred times in the New Testament. Jesus in, inaugurated this idea with Peter in Matthew 16. He said, Peter, one of the disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And Peter's like, well, some are saying Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Some people think that you're John the Baptist who came back from the dead, you know. And Jesus says, okay, who do you say that I am? And some of you will know what Peter's response, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, because you didn't learn this from other people. Nobody else got it right. Right? He said, you didn't learn this from other people, but this was revealed by my Father in heaven. And he said, Peter, you are Petros, which means rock. He said, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail <clears throat> against it. So Jesus inaugurates this idea of the church, but what is he talking about? So if we were to take that word, ecclesia, that Jesus uses in Matthew 16, and that gets used over a hundred times in the New Testament, we find two Greek words that are slammed together to form one word. The first is the Greek word ek, which means out of. And the second is, um, oh, lost my note here. The second, it means to call out. It's kaleo, to call. So when we put these two together, it's the idea that we are called out. To be an ecclesia or to be a church is to be a people who have been called out. This begs some questions that we're going to unpack together today. Two of them directly from the word and one implied. Number one, who has called us? That's kind of important, right? And secondly, for what, uh, what have we been called out from? So, ek, out of, les, uh, leos, called. What have we been called out of? And then the third that's implied is, for what purpose have we been called out? That's pretty important too, right? To know why we were called to be the church. So let's look at each of those. Number one, who has called us? And the answer, you're not going to be surprised by this, the answer is God. Some of you, like me, grew up in a day and age where when the phone rang, you didn't know who was calling you. Everybody under the age of 25 is like, why didn't you just look at your phone? It's like the phone didn't help. There was no information on it, right? The phone would ring, and in my house, there's nine of us, and everybody just like races to the phone like it's going to be for us. It never was, right? Because that's the thing about when somebody would call, there was no call. I mean, you just didn't know. It, it could be like that cute girl in, in your class that, that you were talking to, and she had somehow got your phone number. It never was, but theoretically, it could have been, you know, that. Or it could have been like debt collectors who were like, hey, we're foreclosing on your house. Like, and it was just this, it was the Wild West, man. Like, you just had no idea who's calling you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, in a lot of churches today, it's almost like we've forgotten who called us. We're like, but man, look at our attendance. But man, look at all the stuff we're doing. The light show and, the, and it's all good and all the product and the performance. And like, wow. It's not why we were called. It's not who called us. We were called by God. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God has called you by name and for his purposes. That same Peter that I mentioned a moment ago, he got older, got a little wiser. And he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter says, you've been called. God called you. He chose you for a purpose. In our day and age, we have a lot of conversations around this idea of calling someone out, you know, and we see that, man, Twitter has, has kind of escalated the opportunity. You can go 140 characters to just like destroy somebody, man, because they said something wrong or, or inappropriate or offensive. And behind that conversation has come a second layer of conversation with, with educated people that are going, wait, maybe it's not just enough to call people out. Like we're not accomplishing anything, right? We're all just getting bigger, louder megaphones and screaming. So this new idea has emerged, calling people in. And the difference is when somebody publicly says something that I don't like or maybe even is legitimately wrong or offensive or untruthful, rather than just calling them out on Twitter or some other public platform, I call them in. Hey, can we grab coffee? Can I have a conversation with you? Can we talk about this subject that we're on very different uh, ends of the spectrum with? And can we educate each other? Can we learn from each other? And in that way, can we build bridges rather than burning them down? Not just calling out, but calling in. And this morning, if God has called you out, he has also called you in. He has called you to be part of a family in which he is the father and you have brothers and sisters. Some of you are only childs. How do you say that? Only children? I don't even know how to say that. Some of you didn't have brothers and sisters. I had many. I could give you a couple. But we, we, we had, there were seven in, in my family. And I was the fourth of seven, which means that when I was born, I had two parents, but I also had two brothers and a sister. And when you're reborn as a Christian, that's, what, that's the term Jesus uses in John chapter 3, to be born again, which is a terrible noun, but a great verb, okay? Terrible noun, the born agains. But to be regenerated, to be born again of God through the power of faith in Jesus Christ is a beautiful and true thing. And if you've experienced this, you may be an only child in your uh, family of origin, but you got lots of brothers and sisters in this family. And it is not only about this vertical relationship that you have with God, as important as it is, God says yes, and you demonstrate your love for me by the way you treat your brothers and sisters. I have no greater joy in my life than to see my children lovingly playing together and laughing and getting along. And I don't have to say the opposite of that. You know how frustrating that is. Man, it's like, no. God says, listen, you're in a family. That's what it means to be a church. You're you're part of this called out ones who have come together to form a family with God as the father and each other as brothers and sisters. And the truth is there are some in this room, I won't ask you to identify yourselves, there are some in this room who are closer to members of Horizon West Church than they are to their own family of origin. Now, I'm not going to say that's either a good or bad thing. I'm just saying that this is a reality. And actually, did you know this was true for Jesus as well? One time he's out preaching and some guys walk up, they're like, hey man, uh, your mom and your brothers are outside and they've come to take you home, which is code for they think you're nuts. That they're going to protect you from yourself by by getting you out of the public spotlight. And Jesus says the most remarkable thing. This is Matthew uh, 12. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? He says, the ones that do the will of God are my 
mother and brothers. And then he turns to the disciples and says, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, was Jesus confused about who raised him and who he grew up? No, no, no. He's making a point. He's making a point that the spiritual bonding that happens through faith in Jesus can be stronger and, and actually is stronger than even family of origin kind of things. Now, in English, you would, many of you would know this expression, blood is thicker than water, right? And that expression in our vernacular just means, man, my family of origin, my, my blood family, that's what it's all about. Like, we might have conflicts, we may argue, I might even throw a punch at my brother, but man, let somebody come against us, and it's go time. Like, like we will bond together to, to go against the world because blood is thicker than water. Did you know I found a source this week, and I have no reason to doubt it, although it could be wrong, but the source claims that that expression, blood thicker than water, actually has the exact opposite meaning from the way that we use it. He said when that idea first began to circulate, it circulated among Christians who were saying that the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Like, like I was born through, through a water birth, through my mom giving birth to me and then raising a family, but when Jesus saved me by his blood shed on the cross, blood is thicker than water. Very interesting. And I don't know if that origin story is true or not, but I can tell you that the sentiment absolutely is true. And some of you have experienced this. Even within your families, the ones who have continued to walk with Jesus, there's just a, a bondedness. The ones who have drifted, the ones who have come to faith, the ones who haven't, there's no judgment, no condemnation, but there is this, this natural affinity that the church is supposed to have for one another. We've got people in this church, friends, who have walked through the loss of family members, who have gone through divorce, who have had uh, cancer diagnoses and lost jobs, and they turn to the church for help. Not meaning me, the church, somebody in their small group, somebody that they do life with during the week, somebody they see every Sunday and they said, hey, I just need a brother, I need a sister, I need somebody to walk through this with me. Secondly, what have we been called out from? And the answer here is the world. Now I gotta unpack this a little bit because the Bible uses at least three, uh, uses the world at least three different ways. One is this, the world as the physical created order. This is Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalmist is saying the, the mountains, the, the rivers, the lakes, the oceans, the world, right? We talk about the world that way too, right? The Bible also talks about the world as all living people. John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That verse isn't leading us to think that God loves mountains and rivers and chipmunks, although he does, but that God loves people, that God came to redeem people. The world, meaning all living people. But there's a third way that the New Testament uses the term world. It shows up in several places. One is James chapter 4, verse 4, where the brother of Jesus, biological brother of Jesus, says, do you not know, you adulterous people, that friendship with the world is enmity or hatred toward God? The one who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Scripture is not teaching you that you shouldn't have friends who are unsaved. The Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. You should be in relationship with people who are far from God. What the Bible teaches is that if you want to cozy up and become a friend to the world in this way, this third way of speaking of it, which is a, a spiritual force of evil that has been unleashed on our planet and 
guides and governs the systems of lost people. That, that's what it means to the world. The Bible says if you're going to be a friend of the world, you cannot be a friend of God. They're, they're completely incompatible. It's like playing for the Yankees and the Red Sox. You can't do it. You've got to choose, right? One or the other. So three different ways, and Jesus uses uh, all, all of these in, in John chapter 17. I'm not going to go there just for the sake of time. But what Jesus basically says in his prayer to God in John, in John 17, he says, Father, I don't want them to come out of the world, but I want them to be protected from the evil one. And the way this was taught to me when I was younger is that we're to be in the world, but what? Not of the world, right? In the world. So, and I think this is probably a good thing. The moment you're saved, you don't die and leave the earth, right? It'd be really hard to get people saved. Like, yes, no, you know, yeah, I want to go, but later. Um, so that's not what happens. You remain in the world, but everything starts to change. Not necessarily your circumstances. I'm, I'm talking about your, your desires, your appetite. Your dreams for life, your habits. It's like, man, it's not necessarily overnight. Some people have that experience. For most of us, we're like, each day it's a little different. And one day we wake up, we're like, man, I don't, I don't fit in the places I used to fit. I don't think the way I used to think. I don't behave or speak the way that I used to behave or speak. It's different. You're becoming not of the world. Several weeks ago, I had a conversation with my family, primarily uh, one of my kids, and then the other two were there, and my wife as well, and we were talking about a movie that we had watched together. And I don't often use, like, the, the proper names of things because I don't, it, you know, everybody's different. But this movie was a movie called Zombies. And uh, we watched it together. And yeah, I didn't love it, but uh, it wasn't like one of those where you've had these where you're like, we're shutting this off right now. Like, you're not watching one more minute of this. It wasn't that. It was, it was okay. But there was this thing in my spirit where I'm like, I don't love my kids watching zombie movies. Right? So we, we ended up having the conversation. I didn't initiate it. It just kind of, hey, can we watch it? And I'm like, this isn't one of those movies we're going to watch on repeat. Like, we watched Frozen 3,872 times, but we are not doing that with zombies. This is going to be like once, you know. And it was like, well, why? So I start kind of talking about that. I'm like, well, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't love you watching, you know, werewolf and, and zombie and, and alien and vampire stuff. I just, it just doesn't. It doesn't fit. It's not compatible with, it's why we don't let them dress up like that for Halloween and go out and, you know, like, like we're just not of that kind of thing. One of my kids is like, yeah, but dad, the whole point of the movie is that the humans are learning to embrace these zombies who are different from them and learning to, to, to you know, get along together. And I'm like, that's true. So, and like, I'm going to raise an attorney, I guess, because she was like, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. So we're, we're kind of going back and forth. She's making a lot of points, and I'm counterpointing, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but we're like in this real dialogue, and um, finally I just said, here's the thing, here's the thing. I said, we, you guys have made good points. I think I've made better points, but here's the thing. I said, uh, right now you're eight and nine, and in a few years you're going to be 13 and 14. And you're going to be at a friend's house, and they're going to say, hey, let's watch the new zombie movie. And you'd be like, okay. And now it's a grown-up version. And now it's introducing all the stuff that comes with a culture of, of zombies and werewolves and vampires. And all of these are figments of the imagination created to do harm to human beings created in the image of God. Right? So she's making the point, yeah, but they're redeeming the story. I'm like, yes, but you've got to catch this subtlety in there too. They're also changing the narrative. They're also blurring the lines between what we have called good and what we have called evil. I, I just happen to believe that this matters. 
the, the very first two things that God created in the universe, in the Genesis narrative, Genesis chapter one, he creates light and darkness, and then he does two things. He names them, okay? He doesn't tiptoe around. He says, this is light, and this is what light looks like. This is darkness, and what darkness looks like, and then he separates them. He names them, he separates them. And this would become a living metaphor for the New Testament writers of Scripture to talk about good and evil. They are to be named and they are to be kept separate. And so we have verses like this. Several of these I brought up or actually read to my children at the end of our conversation. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12 Verse 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Romans 13, 12, the night is gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. First Thessalonians 5.5, 5, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. First Peter 2.9, I read this one earlier. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And finally, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Light and darkness, night and day, good and evil. Friends, you may be in a place as an adult where you feel pretty confident you can distinguish between these things, but there is an onslaught in culture with our children to just completely blur those lines. Every good guy is a villain, every villain's a good guy, every, we're just, and and we're failing to impart to our children what most of us grew up with, that there is right and there is wrong. There is good and there is evil. This does not mean that we stand back and judge or that we're holier than thou. To be honest with you, my kids probably watch some things that you wouldn't let your kids watch and vice versa. You're like, man, you let your kids go and do that. And we, like, this isn't legalistic. There's not a list of rules like these things are light and these things are darkness. I'm just telling you, as the church, we should gravitate toward things of light. We should be drawn to things that produce life and hope and goodness and reconciliation. And to do that, we've got to kind of come out of the world. <laughs> not, not meaning physically removing ourselves, but we've got to think and act and behave differently. Final question, for what purpose have we been called out? I've been kind of hitting all around this, but I want to make it really explicit now. We have been called out for the mission of God or what Classic theologians have called in Latin, missio Dei, the mission of God. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is God's mission. The mission that Jesus inaugurated when he showed up in a stable in Bethlehem. A mission to reconcile the world to himself. Now this creates the great paradox that we have to live in the tension of. And here it is. We have been called out from the world for the world. You get it? We've been called out from the world for the world. 
Because if all we do is just swim in down the same stream the world's swimming and little fins flip along the way, hey, how you doing, you know, and we're just going, we have nothing to offer. We're like a lighthouse captain who's, who's, who's you know, in their tower and, and shining the light and the ship captain comes in and goes, hey, the light is blinding me, turn it off. He's like, you don't want me to turn this light off, trust me. Because it's the light that's going to get you to where you need to go. So some of you need to come out and be separate more so than you've been. And others of you are like, man, I have no t- problem being separate from the world. I like standing back and chucking my rocks at people and judging them, right? The Bible doesn't call for that either. In fact, I'm going to illustrate it this way. This is going to wake some people up, but go ahead and turn the lights off. There's two ways that I can use light. One is I can just like shine it in your eyes. I'm sorry. I know this is annoying. I'm still doing it. Yeah. And you know what? Some of you are doing it too on Facebook. But what, what, what I mean is you, you can, hey, I, you can turn the lights on. You can turn the lights on. I, I, I've been there too. I've confessed that to you. We can use the light to go, man, you're wrong. Look, I've got the light. Or we can use it like this. Go ahead and turn the light off again. We can stand with the world and point it and go, hey, here's, here's the light. Here's where the light can lead you. I'm not, I'm not trying to blind you. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to show you the way to life. Somebody lit the way for me, and I want to help to light the way for you as well. Jesus said it like this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You have been called out to be different from the world for the purpose that you go back into that same world and bring the message of reconciliation. I know guys who spent years in prison, finally got free, went on with their life and said, you know what, I gotta go back to prison. Not as a convict, not as an inmate. I gotta go back to take the message of reconciliation of the gospel to to others. I got called out from this life. I got to go back to those same people and bring that message of hope from the world for the world. So here's the hard question that we have to reckon with. Is our light on its stand or is it under its basket? I said it before and I'm increasingly grieved by it. The American church and the witness of the American church is in a, in a dark place. <laughs> It's in a dark place. There are a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not a social scientist. But you don't have to look hard to realize that we're caught up in a lot of things that weren't the things Jesus called us to. One of the things I'm doing with my kids right now is is reading um, to them. My dad did this well when I was growing up. I have not done it as well with them. But I want to read for you. This is C.S. Lewis, The Silver Chair. Uh, Also, Silver Chair happens to be one of my favorite alternative rock bands of the 90s, but you don't need to know that. Just a, just a throwaway. <laughs> Neon Ballroom was the, the last great rock album of the 90s. 1999, the summer, if you're interested in that kind of thing. But this is a book called The Silver Chair, C.S. Lewis. And I'm reading this story, and, and I'm preparing this message, and it just hits me like a ton of bricks. Uh, Eustace and Jill are in Narnia, and they've been sent by Aslan, the great lion, who's a kind of a type of Christ in the story, right? And they're, they're on a mission to rescue the lost prince. 
And what happens is, is a woman encounters them and tells them of this great land where they can find warm beds and, and get full bellies and all these great things because they're cold and they've been traveling and they're weary. And here's what it says. C.S. Lewis writes this. Whatever the lady had intended by telling them about this place, Harfang, the actual effect on the children was a bad one. They could think about nothing but beds and baths and hot meals and how lovely it would be to get indoors. They never talked about Aslan or even about the lost prince now. In other words, the promise of convenience, the promise of comfort, knocked them off of their mission. The band Newsboys many, many years ago had a song in which they said, when are you coming back again, speaking to Jesus? And would you bring me something from the fridge? I heard a rumor that the end is near, but I just got comfortable here. That song was called Lost the Plot, and I think it is more true today than it was 20 or so years ago when they wrote it. Friends, are we so comfortable that we've forgotten we're the ecclesia? We're the ones who have been called out, not to stand above, or to, but, but to bring the message of hope back to the world and to introduce them to the saving power of Jesus. There is something incredibly powerful when the people of God simply believe that the word of God is true and allow the spirit of God to lead them through their lives. In fact, I wonder if, if tomorrow the, the, the church as we know it ceased to exist, if there was some kind of apocalyptic thing that happened and there were no church buildings and no church staff and no brands and, and, and no signage and no lights and no cameras and none of that. And we just emerged from the wreckage and went, are, are, you, are you one of the called out ones? Yeah, come on. And we banded together. And all we had was, was this and prayer and each other. And we said, what do we do next? I don't know, man, but let's, let's look. Well, okay, Acts chapter two. And, and what did Jesus say there in Matthew 5? And we just, the word of God and the people of God by the power of the spirit of God. It has the power to transform the world. I have a deep and a growing hunger to get beyond the scaffolding and to get to the heart of the issue. We are the church. Let's be the church. One of the temptations that I had in preparing this week was to just make it about the horizontal. Like we believe that you need to be in a group. We want you serving. We want you connecting with other people. But I wanted to take some time to help you understand the context for that. You can get connected with people at Elks Lodge or the Lions Club or the Little League playoffs or whatever, like, and that's all good. But God is forming something different in what is called the church. In this church, in Life Church, in Harvest Ministry, in The Grove, in Mosaic, in LifeBridge, in Discovery. Like, we are the church. And God has a mission for us. So as you think about some of the things we even talked about earlier, like, like our group launch experience that's happening on February 10th or, or serving opportunities, like we want you doing those things. But we also want you to understand why it matters. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for calling us. God, I remember pretty much where I was sitting and, and who I was around when I first really heard that small whisper of your voice saying, Chris, I have more for you. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. 
Lord, forgive me for so often becoming comfortable with less. For getting blinded and distracted by the, by, by the scaffolding, by the things that we do to prop the whole thing up. Lord, let me just have you, just you, Jesus. And let us take that hope to a lost world. Lead us, Father. Purify us, God. And do it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.